heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome aboard, my fellow Americans. Uh, Malcolm at eight. It is indeed the voice of a nation. It was July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress. This is when the Declaration of Independence became a thing. And the document was, it's, it's kind of awkward because the document proclaimed our sovereignty of the United States. And I say that awkwardness because we don't have sovereignty today. Uh, here we are in the year 2023 of our Lord and we have no longer have that sovereignty that we fought for back in 1776, which to to be sovereign at that point. Uh, but it also made sure that King George III would be the last king of America. That was it right there, King George III. Now, others have tried to take that position, quite frankly, over the years, but uh, it has never caught on. George, you got to remember now, Great Britain back at that day, they were in a war with France. They had that seven year war, seven years war with France. And, uh, and you know, this was a whole new empire out here in America, uh, all the way to the Mississippi River. Remember, we hadn't discovered the rest of it yet. And uh, so it was a whole new area of the world for Great Britain. And Great Britain at that point was the dominant force uh, on Earth. And they, they, they were it. They were all over the world. Uh, but these were the American colonies, and these were people had broken off and wanted a new, a new, a new, um, a new vibe, uh, a new opportunity, and they they wanted to have a fresh start. Really, I think I'd call it. What happened is Great Britain overplayed their hand, and King George the Third and Parliament overplayed their hand, uh, and it was with all those taxes and putting on taxes that the colonists didn't think they really were entitled to pay. That's where the spark really hit right there. And that it all culminated, of course, with the Tea uh, Party in May 1773. And um, that's where the colonists pushed back on King George III. Now, the problem is what happened with King George, had they played it differently, we might still be a, um, a, a you know, an arm of Great Britain today had they played it differently. But King George III did not play it differently. He doubled down and he went more, sided more with Parliament than we the people. Now, this is a classic lesson for today's politicians. I point that out because at that point, again, he sided with, with the bureaucrats with the political operatives rather than the people, we the people. That's a lesson we can take something from friends right now when you look at the political class now and who they're siding with. And and frankly, that's part of the attraction of why Donald Trump was successful in office, by the way, because it was that sensibility he put out there that he was uh, on the side of we the people. Um, And that's what resonated, I think, at that time with the American people. Of course, things are changing constantly. But it was uh, April. It was it was April in 1775, in a particular morning, that tensions got too hot, 
And uh, this was, and you know the history now, Lexington and Concord, just outside of Boston now. And of course, the Red Sox weren't there at the time, and neither were the Patriots. But Boston was there, and the Revolutionary War had begun. Right, That was it. And it really was the people against big government at that point. It was against um, Great Britain. And uh, so I point that out because I often reference that now when people say a civil war, you know, you'll have to pick your poison at some point. And at this point, is it a war against big bureaucrats and the political operatives and uh, big government? Or is it between the people themselves? And that's something that's going to have to be figured out. And it and really should be discussed, quite frankly, in the spirit of 1776, you know. George, uh, King George, when he doubled down, he when he, and when he sided with them, that was the breaking point of all of this. Now, there was one other point. The Continental Congress made uh, another petition to the king in July 1775, going the extra mile, if you will. And he refused to accept that. And he instead issued a royal proclamation that labeled the war a rebellion and denounced the revolutionaries, um, uh, call it tyranny, traitors, if you will, uh, levying a war against Great Britain, of course, and it's history from their friends as to where we find ourselves today. There are a lot of questions that people have in our country right now. I want you to think today, as you hear this broadcast, of what the spirit of 1776 means to you. You know, I often reference God's gift to us and being on this planet and, you know, um, being here in America. And, you know, and you have to, yeah, you got to understand first, there's a lot of factors to this, but God is a significant part of this operation of this country. People forget this is a Judeo-Christian nation was founded in Christian values. And it's important to remember this today as they try to pull that further and further away. Now, when you think about you as a person and that you could have been born anywhere on the planet, you could have been born. I, I was telling folks today, you could have been born in Venezuela. You could have been born, born in communist China. You could have been born in Russia. You could have been born absolutely anywhere or some remote village in South Africa somewhere. Who knows? It's it's a, it's like winning the lottery when you're born here with free people. Free people being we the people. That's where. That's really what we got to paint here. That's the picture. That's what we're looking at here, you see? And so the fact that we have this special opportunity uh, to live in this land and be free people, and that's, I think, where our country finds itself on a slippery slope right now. What always puzzles me, friends, is when um, the small percentage of we the people break off and they become dictators. They become um, people that are possessed with power. They lose all reality to what, who we are, and who they, who they represent. You see, and that's where I think uh, the friction comes in, and that's where we are today in big government and what's happening in our country. The division. The problem is a lot of people that we've elected to high office. They're playing this out. And they're playing it in ways 
that they're pitting people against the people. So that means you have a division happening here with we the people. It's sort of at the same time, it's weird. It's sort of like on one aspect, there's, there's a revolutionary point going here. I don't want to say war, but you could call it what you want. There's a revolutionary moment here between we the people and the federal government. But frankly, there's a, a civil matter here. Again, we don't have to use the word war, but there is a civil moment here between the people, the division within the people, which was created by big government. You see, I don't I, I can't think of anything historically that comes to my mind that is would make the situations, uh, you know, you wonder if there's a spark that sets it off or something that happens that it's like, wow. Uh, does that make sense what I'm talking about with these two conflicting thoughts here? Well, it does. And I think it's important for us to remember that uh, the Civil War, much like where we are today, was literally a war between the Democrats in the South and the Republicans in the North. The Democrats in the South, those were all the slave owners. The only Republican who ever owned a slave was Ulysses S. Grant. And he was a Democrat at the time. So he inherited and gave it away promptly. So uh, he didn't own it for long, but he was a Democrat when he did. There's never been a Republican slave owner. I think it's important that people that people know that. And I think it's important that people recognize that this, too, is largely a, a, a difference of opinion or, or a conflict between the Democrats and the Republicans, just as it was then. The difference is that there were clear boundaries uh, before, leading up to the Civil War. Depending on what state seceded and what state did not, everybody knew where the boundaries were. So the battle lines were were drawn. You could be in front of the front. You could be behind the front, whatever. That's not the case now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Democrats and Republicans today largely, uh, you, you talk about the cities against the suburbs, suburbs against suburbs, cities and some of the suburbs against other suburbs in the country. You're talking about consumers against producers. You're talking about a, a war that would be fought if it ever happened amongst, amongst us and, and, and within us all over the country all at the same time without any clear front lines without any clear battles uh, it would just be a, essentially a free-for-all of, of blood in the streets wow i mean that's a great explanation and descriptive that you put out there wally um wow and i mean i didn't know where we were going to go with that but I, I really that to me is the crux of this battle right now it's hard to define it almost we're saying you know it's hard to define it and it, it just seems like i don't know it's it's like they played this thing. I, I guess it's the constant drip, 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 Wally, of the um, divide in the people. It makes me sick. It really does. I, I tell you, I, nothing uh, unsettles me more with this division of people that they do. And I guess it's seeking power. These people who do it. You know, I always have a hard time thinking when I think about government, Wally. I'm thinking about this is just an extension of we the people. And I think about the human spirit and who we are. Why do some people get so off the the beaten path as these people who think they're going to control the rest of us as what we dealt with, uh, the colonists did with King George III? It's the same thing we're kind of dealing with today. Why is it those people lose context in all of this? Why do you think that is? There's a number of reasons for that. There's a school of thought, very popular uh, with the globalist circles and also on the American left, 
that it's impossible for the entire world to live in a United States, you know, free market capitalist standard of living. And that if we tried to bring the rest of the world up to our standard of living or up to more of a European, a Western world standard of living, that we would have to strip the earth of all of its natural resources. We would destroy the planet. We would destroy the, our habitat. And uh, we would essentially, we'd, we'd die. We would kind of, the you've ever heard of the Club of Rome from the 1960s and 1970s, but kind of that kind of thinking where if you reach a certain point where your population keeps going up and production keeps going up, at some point you're going to run out of something critical and the whole thing comes apart and billions of people die. So there are people who legitimately believe that in spite of the fact that there is neither a scientific nor an economic reason for anybody to think that that could ever be true. Uh, It's the opposite of truth. Uh, But there are people who believe that. And then, of course, there are those who are just drunk for power. Some people just want to control others. Some people think other people are stupid. You know, we talk about the the, the racism of low expectations, for example, where uh, this, this notion that, that African-Americans are somehow not able to get driver's licenses. As absurd as that is, there are people who believe that. They're ironically not the people living in downtown Detroit, you know, where we, the African-Americans that are the people that they say can't do it they think it's absurd and yet they still you know largely vote democrats so you know very strange thing yeah but there are a number of reasons why why people think that way and why people seek to control others i really believe as you're speaking there i'm thinking about the uh, the the freedom of people who we are as people our brothers our sisters and other folks and I couldn't imagine in my life um, wanting to dictate somebody else's life or being part, you know, being um, pushing my theories or my thoughts onto uh, or demanding that of another fellow human being. Yeah, that's exactly what happens as to how these governments get out of control in the first place. And just think when you look around the world, in fact, and you look at dictators and you look at these um, these oligarchs who take control of environments and they do it for self-serving interest. When that happens, I always bring it back to the fight of good and evil. I always think there's a lot of evil in people. Uh, some uh, There's an intent of evil in uh well, a fair amount of people, I guess. And that's what plays out in all these battles. The battle we're talking about right now that Wallace and I are discussing, I want to bring Dr. Steve LaTulip into this conversation right now. Steve, this battle, uh, Wallace did, I mean, picked it up perfectly with my uh, playing on my thoughts. My fear is this isn't one direct battle with just one one um, element whether it be revolutionary, mentioned revolutionary war, civil war, and within the peoples that Wallace pointed out perfectly. I think that's what makes this moment to me so extraordinary. You almost don't even know, I think a lot of people wouldn't even know who they're really fighting or what's going on exactly. I think that makes this moment a little more unusual, possibly, than other moments. We might might be onto something there. What do you think of that? Uh, well, Malcolm, you know, you're right. It's a it's a very complex issue. Like what kind of a war is going on right now in America? Uh, is it a civil war where the people are fighting the people? Is it a revolutionary war? Are we actually trying to overthrow the government? Uh, well, we are we seen even at right? war, Steve? Are we even at war right now? Explain that, please. You use the word okay. several times here. Are we at war right now? Uh Okay, in my opinion, let me just say, no, I don't believe we are at war. I believe we are under attack. We have yet to fight back. 
And um, that, I know it's a bold statement, but no, we're not at war yet. However, we are being plundered. We are being attacked. We are being killed, literally murdered in so many different ways. And no, we have yet to fight this battle. Why, um, why, why haven't we fought back yet? Um, and do you have any idea to that point? That's a hard question, but any idea? Yeah, there, there's a, there's perhaps several reasons for it. Number one, uh, some people just don't recognize that, that we are under attack. And if they do see it, then they think, oh, you know, I can give up a little bit. After all, we've been raised with give and take. Uh, so there's that kind of callous attitude. There are the people who are straddling the fence. And there's a lot of those people. And uh, sadly, there are way too many Americans who are just too comfortable and don't want to to pay the price for freedom. They don't want to sacrifice what they have. They've worked hard for what they've had. I mean, they've they've gone to school, they've studied, they've invested in their careers. And to give that up is a horrible, horrible thing. It's asking a lot, let alone go further and say, well, you know, what if it required you to perhaps give your life for your country? Right. Um, people don't like that. Well, is it know? more about self-preservation? Let me ask you this. Is it self-preservation for more people that comes to that mind? Um, back to what you're saying, or is it, I mean, I wonder, is it greed? Is it, what is it that does it? Because you just said the key word a moment ago, giving up your life. Think about the people they never dealt with self-preservation at that point. They put their life on the line. So let's, those two points here, Steve, could not be more sparse. Uh, let that sink in a moment. People who would do anything for whatever you want to call it, self-preservation, and those who stepped in harm's way and gave up their life. Could there be a bigger difference? I think so. I think there could be a, a much bigger difference. Um yeah, I think that if, if we if we take the average American citizen, what we have is just what you said. We have a spiritual war going on. This is a, a battle between good and evil. So in that sense, yes, there is a war going on. There always has been a war going on. And in fact, the Bible says that that battle will escalate. Deceivers will grow uh, in worse and worse, and false teachers will become more prevalent. Uh, so the stakes will be ever higher. Um, Even from this so point forward, you mean? Yes, exactly. It's it it is escalating. I think it has gradually escalated, but we are certainly now achieving um, some, just some some new um, barriers, some new obstacles, okay. some new threats and challenges that we have never really before seen in this form, just because of our high tech world. Right. Right. You just said false prophets. And that that really gets me suspicious as well. If that's going to become more and more because you already wonder with who, you know, who we're dealing with now on the world stage, who the false prophets are and who they're not. At this point, we're not going to know who we're fighting, Steve. I mean, we're just simply not going to know. Well, you know, um, I don't. I have a little different uh, thinking on that. Maybe uh, Wallace said mentioned that, you know, it would be if we had a revolutionary civil war, whatever you want to call it, it would be a free for all in the streets. Well, you know, I, I think we've already seen the free for alls. We've seen the BLM, the Antifa, uh, the lawlessness. Um, I don't. I don't think that this is a time to actually get into military strategy. I do believe firmly that there is a way 
to take back our country. And there's no doubt in my mind. Okay. And if I start going down that route, I, I could certainly opine on what I think it would take okay. to uh, to level the playing field, first of all, and then to conquer the enemy. Because right, that, well, that's the bottom line. You know, if, there, if we are at war, there has to be a way to defeat the enemy because that's what opposing armies do, try to defeat each other, destroy each other. Yeah, I just made a note, level the playing field, conquer their enemy. I mean, hard to get any better than that, buddy. Uh, so first we have to identify the enemy. Who's the enemy? Uh, the enemy is, in my opinion, and I'm speaking theologically here, it is the spirit of Antichrist. If you go into the Bible, you know, everybody thinks that the book of Revelation talks about the Antichrist. Well, you won't find the word Antichrist in the book of Revelation. The only writer of the Bible that ever mentions Antichrist is uh, the writer John, the one apostle who uh, lived uh, and died a natural death. But he says that in his time, there were already many antichrists. I mean, Adolf Hitler was an antichrist, Stalin, all these uh, evil people who committed heinous crimes are the spirit of antichrist. And, and it comes back to what does it mean to be antichrist and what does it mean to even have a biblical standard? And that's where we have trouble defining the enemy, because um, it, it's very hard to to say who is an enemy and who is not because you have so many nuances of difference. But if we talk about preserving our constitution and considering the fact that every single military man and woman who took an oath took the oath to defend the constitution, not the government, uh, what does that mean to us? Well, if, well. if there is no, you know, no end on the timeline of, of serving out that oath, then we are still under an obligation, and I hold to that very strongly. Well, as we talked about in yesterday's broadcast, uh, that uh, they're not following the Constitution, they're not uh, they're not honoring the Constitution. So, I mean, we we exposed that big time in yesterday's broadcast and talked about uh, the, not only the Constitution, but surely what a convention of states looks like uh, and what nullification looks like with states pushing back on big government. And this point of election integrity and what it takes to um, have secure elections in our country. Uh, and, and even when I say have secure elections, even when people are not informed and you've got media that is out of control, given bad information out there, and now you've got it's a complicated situation. That's what makes today so unnerving more than any other time in our nation's history, all the way back to our origins and our beginning. It makes it unnerving because the technology has completely changed. The field has changed. We'll be talking about that later in the week, friends. It's completely a different paradigm here that we live in today. It's a completely different atmosphere. And uh, the game, the rules have changed of the game. And we have those in the media landscape, the people that are designated to inform others that are doing it with uh, a, uh, a, you know, their, their own agenda. And, uh, and oftentimes it's not a good agenda. It's a very bad agenda that they're pushing out on the people. What really uh, uh, worries me is that people don't, so many people are led down the wrong roads. They're not paying attention, in other words, and they get easily swept up in the lies and the deceit very, very badly. And then they're misinformed. 
and they're making decisions that are not in their best interest. And this is where we find ourselves today, which was part of the point we're just talking about with uh, this complication of the playing field, I guess, as you were hearing Stephen Wallace talk there. It's the complication of the playing field. It is a, it's a far more complicated playing field today than it's ever been. Uh, wow. You think about that a moment and think about this fight of what we're experiencing right now in our nation. And then you begin to think, where does it end? Where does it start? Maybe, yeah, maybe instead of where does it end, how about where does it start? Let's talk about where does it, where does it start? What I mean by that is where does it start? Where does the spark come in? Just like the spark back in 1776 in Lexington and Concord, where does that spark happen that turns this on its head, that makes the people realize, <laughs> yeah, we got more than just King George III on our ass today. We have a whole lot more coming at us full throttle. Think about that a moment here, you know? I mean, you think about we the people and this exercise of this American experiment and um, what it would take to preserve this experiment moving forward. You know, what does it take to do that? 247 years in as I speak to you now. And at some point, you know, we're all going to leave and leave this planet and go on. And what have we left for the generations? Hard to say at this point, isn't it, friends? Not looking too bright and cheery for sure. But that spark is what I'm thinking about. What is that? What does that spark look like? And what happens after that spark? You know, think about that. And the fact is, what I keep hearing from people is that, well, Americans are armed. And, you know, the Second Amendment is an important piece of this fight, just as well as our First Amendment. But the Second Amendment being armed stops those uh, dictators and those wannabes uh, from pushing uh, pushing over, you know, uh, bringing people down uh, to a stop, I guess, what we need to talk about there. Well, friends, you're uh, listening to the voice of a nation here, and uh, we have special broadcasting all week long we are doing. If you missed Monday's broadcast, it was wonderful. Sidney Powell was on, Wallace Garneau uh, was here, Paul Engel, constitutional uh, expert, wonderful. Everybody was just marvelous. Convention of States, Nullification, and Election Integrity. We covered some ground in that program, I have to tell you. It's, it's uh, a definite must listen, uh, and you'll find that on podcast here as you listen to me here. And then uh, today, of course, you listen to the spirit of 1776. What does that spirit mean? And, I, and I'll talk a little more about that spirit. We all will in just moments here. And I love what Steve said a moment ago, leveling the playing field and conquering the enemy. He has some ideas for that. We'll find out what those ideas are. We'll make him put his money where his mouth is just shortly here. Okay, so we'll, we'll do that. And then we have on Wednesday, the United States being ruled from Brussels. So this will be tomorrow. And um, this is that new world order sort of thing. Some extraordinary people on this broadcast. General Paul Vallelay will be here. Trevor Loudon will be here. Edward Huglin, some real big thinkers. Uh, and I may pull in one or two more on that broadcast. But anyways, you got a full uh, team here uh, talking about that. Thursday, the United States in a new world order of advanced technologies. And this is bioweapons. This is a new world order of tech. This is AI. This is super weapons. This is all of this. Uh, this is going to be uh, quite a conversation as well. What does that look like ahead? Uh, Friday, we the people get loud. And this will be some surprises there when we talk about that. So a whole full week here on The Voice of a Nation. 
Please join us every day at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And please, I beg of you to bring five people with you. Okay, everybody bring five with you. If you can bring 10, I'll just love you that much more. But listen, I love you still if you bring five. Just bring, everybody brings five. We'll multiply this audience right up and get people to tune in to what the out loud truth is. I want to take a pause right now, my fellow Americans, and we'll join you just on the flip side here. You're listening to the voice of a nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Out loud. Well, the spirit of 1776, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. It means it's a little different for every one of us. Ask yourself today, what does it mean to you? What does it really mean to use the spirit of America? Um, we're talking here with um, Wallace Garneau is here, Dr. Steve Latulip, our Netanak and our team here uh, on The Voice of a Nation. And, um, and you've heard from Wally and Steve already. Let me talk to my my dear, dear friends and um, and a beautiful, beautiful person, Arnetta. Uh, Arnetta, tell me succinctly, because I know you're a patriot. I know you love this nation. I know that you you're like me. We sort of. We get chills when the conversation sort of goes there and we talk about how blessed we are to be in this nation. What does the spirit of 1776 really mean to you? It's about our freedom, Malcolm, and our love of preserving our freedoms and our rights for our children, our grandchildren, and future generations. And I feel that we are again in that moment in 
1776. We are there again because we are much like those people without communications who lived in different communities. We've been handicapped by the powers that be, who we are fighting, and we don't have a voice. We don't have a way to communicate. We don't have a way to organize. And yet that's exactly what the people from 1776 with that spirit, that's what they did. And we can do that too. That spark, we should have already found that spark. The enemy is those people who want to be not just one King George, but we've got a whole bunch of them. And those are the billionaires and the just the very maniacal evil people who want to rule the world, not just America. They want to rule the world. So we're fighting King George all over again, but we have to make that sacrifice. We have to get out. We have to get in the community, organize and find a way to do it. And I do believe it's not the North and the South, no. but it's no. middle America. Yeah against the border states and the coastal states. If you look at a map, that's what we're up against. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, that's good what you say there. And I, you know, I'll take it a little further as I always do with that comment here. And it is, as you know, our net on your heart. It's a fight of good and evil totally, you know. Yes, it is. And maybe the evil is in those coastal areas. I don't know. But surely uh, America's cities are crumbling. You know, I told five years ago, I told listeners that there's no way to have a great America without great American cities. I've made that statement more than once. And this is when Trump was doing the escalator and talking about make America great again. And I was on broadcast and I said to folks, you know, listen, our cities are in a dire shape and they're crumbling uh, by the hour. It's horrible what's going on there in these cities. And it's gotten that much worse since I spoke those words about five, five, about five, six years ago. It was right in that range. And here we are, and it is the decimation of this great American experiment in city that is that is uh, truly, truly crumbling. You know, I um, I think of this experiment and where we're at. Um, I wonder, I wonder when we talk. I, I want to talk about the Second Amendment. Let me dive right into the Second Amendment here. And Wallace, I want to just ask you right now: Is uh, really and truly, really and truly? I, I I read a lot of different commentary on two A. Is government is that what holds? I mean, is that does that really worry government the the officials? When I say government, all these King George threes, uh, the wannabes, uh, is, is that what worries them, or do you think that comes into the equation? Because a lot of people make a big deal out of two A on the outside of this. How much of a deal is that when it comes to these operatives? I'm asking you. Much less of a deal than it used to be. Our intelligence apparatus knows everything you buy, everything you watch, everything you read. Uh, if you say anything in electronic format, be it a text message, a phone call, this radio program, huge shawl out to the NSA. I'm sure they're listening. Uh, they're on everything. They know everything you purchase. They can track you on your cell phone in your car, so they know everywhere you go. They know everything about us. They know who's got a concealed weapons permit, and if they ever decide to go round people up, they're all gone the first night. Uh, so in order... 
what we have to understand, we have to recognize, we have to figure out some way to counteract is, is the simple fact that anybody who tries to organize any kind of a movement against this, uh, if they don't decide to to take the organization down, they'll just infiltrate it. Now, your third member is probably the FBI. So you know, the, the ability of the federal government of the United States to know everything that's going on, to shut down organizations faster than they can be organized, to infiltrate organizations, uh, to to entrap organizations by creating their own plans for the organization to do it, getting some buffoon in the organization to go along. Their ability to do those kinds of things. If King George had had those kinds of intelligence opportunities, there would have been no Boston Tea Party. There would have been no Paul Revere yeah. ride, no Ken... None of that could have happened because the British would have known about it in advance yeah. and would have been able to counteract any kind of an organization faster than it could be formed. Isn't that what I said? You you just uh, I love the way you follow those points. But isn't that what I said earlier? The rules of the games have entirely changed. It's a totally different uh, paradigm today than it was back then. You're so right. You're so right. You, you mentioned I, technology twice in the first portion of the show. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you're spot yeah. on there. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we're dealing with today. And I think your explanation of that is is perfect to what you say it is a different environment your comments about 2a and what you said there uh, i respect and appreciate that and um i'm not i'm actually thinking and, and before i even say what i'm thinking let me get steve to i want you to pick up on what wally just said uh steve please and when he just said that i th i think what he was suggesting is that that is not so. Uh, it's not quite the scare tactic that people think it is when they say, "Oh my God, the reason they haven't done X, Y, or Z is because of that." And there's a lot of em emphasis put on that. And I'm just wondering, after hearing this last exchange, you have a different opinion on two A in regards to these people uh, and how they yeah. look at that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Malcolm. I I have to say, um, you know, I respect Wally's opinion and. And, and I get the points, but I have to say I totally disagree. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, the great patriots of America, the first thing they say is, oh, hey, I'm pro Second Amendment. I'm all for it. Right. And we have to ask, well, what do they mean by that? And what do we mean when we say that? And uh, are we just blowing hot air? Or exactly. Right. Does the Second Amendment, I mean, up to this point, uh, up to, you know, up to the pandemic, has the Second Amendment served a purpose in our government? Has it confirmed? freedom and strength to America? I believe it absolutely has. Uh, right now, if you look at the statistics uh, of what's happened in America, we now have almost one out of two American households own at least one firearm, and the average uh, firearm owner has five guns. And Steve, I'm going to ask you back. i got to ask you something back. With all that said, let's say there's an uprising in a particular part of the country, and the militias are coming out, and again, two a, we're armed, we're legal, we got our permits, get the hell out of our way, we're doing this. And it really got out of hand. And they're like, was really aggressive. And they felt that aggressiveness in D.C. Do you not think they could put this out it, like immediately? Well, you give our a, a very corrupt, rogue, weak government. Remember, a spineless government, really. You give them a lot of credit if you say that. I mean, look. I, know, I don't know. I'm asking you. What do you think? Yeah, well, OK. So we have a president, Joe Biden, yeah. who is saying, look, it's going to take a lot more than AR-15s to take down right. your government. That's right. So that's, that's a right. direct threat. And yet, what do we have? We have the people 
abiding by the First Amendment, go to D.C. to protest and to appeal to their government. for what And they're they in jail now. Yeah, and they're in jail now. And of course, why are they in jail? Well, they were a threat to our government. What do you mean they weren't even armed? Can you imagine? Well, that's what I'm talking about right were. there. So what do you think they would do if these if these people were armed? I mean, they'd be up on more charges. They'd have them locked away for it. But what's What's the recourse well, on asking? Well, wow. you know, when you talk about more charges, you're talking about law. You're talking about due process. I hear you. I, I'm sorry, but that's all gone. That's right. We Right now, we have a government that completely disregards the Constitution. They have shelved it. They do not okay. want to hear anything about the Constitution. All right. So all right. we are in a lawless society. Right. So then we engage the rules of war. Now, that's a different story. The rules of war. Together. All right. All right. All right. Uh, you got me spinning here, Steve. You got me spinning here. So you you so you think the 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 armed militia, the we the people armed militia would make that you you, you see that. Well, I'll tell you what you mentioned earlier, level the playing field and conquer the enemy. You said you had some ideas to that. Hold on one moment. I first want to get Arnetta to chime in here. And then I want to get to that crux of that before we have Wally come back in and opine on top of that, of how that works or how it doesn't work. Arnetta. 2A, the, again, the We the People militia is there. It's in a particular part of the country. There's a consensus. Something's happening. It's it's on the move. Um, what does that what what does that conflict look like with the government? Does it have a chance? Um, you know, or uh, it doesn't. It doesn't have a chance unless the states themselves stand up for that state and its state's rights and uses the National Guard, but it becomes really ugly fast. Yes, the federal government outnumbers, outguns us, but what do you have to lose? Right. You lose everything if you don't stand at some point. Right. right. They scare us to death. But what does that mean? You lose it. So it's going to depend on your local communities, doing your states, and you have to fight back. And all right. I love your answer. The odds are against us. I love your answer, by the way. I mean, you you got the $50,000 pyramid there. I love your answer for a few reasons, and I'm not going to say them right now, but let's put Steve back on the spot here and talk about that uh, level the playing field, conquer the enemy, and what you were just going to say to me about this movement. Go go ahead, Steve. How does it work? How does it happen? Well, first of all, we have to admit uh, that we who claim to defend the Constitution have really failed, because if you just read the few simple words of the Second Amendment, we see our own failure, because the founders stated that a a well-regulated militia is necessary, not optional, necessary to the security of a free state, meaning that if we are unarmed, we will become slaves slaves of the state. And that's why they are so trying to disarm us right now. So there is a purpose of having a gun behind every blade of grass, as it's been uh, told that, you know, we have kept uh, other enemies, foreign enemies at bay just because of that fact. If China wanted to invade our borders, God help them, because we have a lot of weapons to use against them. And right now, we have a domestic enemy we are fighting. I mean, let's face the the reality. Jim Caviezel right now says they are after him for his life because he exposed the fact that our CIA operates the world's biggest pedophile ring, the CIA. 
And then the FBI yeah. actually entrapped and imprisoned our top American patriots, some of them. These are the men who fought in the wars. These are our heroes. They are being physically abused, beaten, you know, all kinds of abuse in the Washington or D.C. gulags right now. Yeah. Still, and that blows my mind, That that there's nothing more than that that infuriates me and inspires a spirit of 1776 in my heart. Okay, so I agree with Arnetta. Uh, if we have a fighting chance, if just by owning weapons, so we must never, never sell our weapons. The no, she said the states have to take control of that. Is what she's saying. That was her big, big point. There is the states. right, but the, but we got some blue states. Remember, when you talk about the National oh, yeah. Guard, they are under the rule of the governors of the state. Okay, that's a little concerning in California with Gavin Newsom and with some of the, these other communists ruling these other states. That's not going to work. We need an independent militia, independent of the government that can stand on its own two feet. And that's where we really need to get serious about developing and organizing a well-regulated militia. Mm -hmm. If we are going to be true to the founding fathers who established the Second Amendment for this purpose, to overthrow the rogue government that we now have. If this government thought they were threatened, I think back to Pelosi and McConnell and all of the operatives up there and the FBI and the CIA that thought they were under attack from J6, okay, to what we were just talking about. And you see how they responded in kind. How do you think they would respond with a well-regulated militia that is now coming at them? Steve, answer that first before I bring Wally on. How would they respond if they were threatened by that with no arms and you see the measures they took, how would this these establishment players and there's a whole host of them now. That's a big part of it. How, how do they respond to that? Uh, it's very hard to say how they would respond, but yeah. if it affects them personally, um, I think that they would take a stand. There's no doubt about that. And of course, we're talking about how they would respond then versus how do we respond now? That's the big question, because everybody wants to know. Every good American patriot just wants to know, what, what must I do to save America? I mean, it's like asking the ultimate spiritual question, what must I do to be saved? Well, first of all, we look at the instruction manual, the Bible for how to be saved. Well, we need to look at the instruction manual for how to save our country. We have been told how to save our country. We, we have fallen far back from what we were supposed to be doing. We have been caught off guard, and now we will pay a price for that, and we have to be willing to acknowledge that we have failed, that we have fallen short, and that we now need to sacrifice if we're going to save our country. And of of course, sacrifice, in my opinion, has become a foreign word. It's been taken out of our dictionary. But we are called as patriots to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to pay the price for freedom. Because if we don't pay the price for freedom now, we are going to pay the price for slavery later. And it's going to be a hell of a lot worse than the price of freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, if you could save the country by being placed on a cross and having nails and daggers put in your feet and in your hands, would you do it? Uh, Malcolm, I'd like to say I would. I'd like to say I would. Uh, that's a real challenging question for any human being to answer. Um, I, without going into details, I would say 
that many, many American people would step up. I've mm-hmm. seen that. Okay. I have experienced that in my personal life abroad, uh, overseas, and so forth. Right. So, yes, I think that not, I'm not just saying I, I think many Americans All would. Right. All right. All right. Wally, got to, got to, um, uh, Help me out here. Bring this to a, a head there. First of all, uh, when I make that statement, when you talk about our country and the fight of God, I mean, I don't make that statement um, casually. I really don't because I've thought a lot about these things. Frankly, everything I'm speaking about today, I've given great consideration to. Um, if it came down to yourself even or anybody you know, would they go to that trouble, to that end, to that state with that pain? What would people do for their country? For the for all, it's more, forget the country. That's even the wrong, for all free people. That's what we're talking about here because the country doesn't even matter. It's all free people. It's people being free. It's the human spirit. That's the spirit of 1776. If you want to have nails put in your hands and your feet and right to the cross and bang, then maybe that's the spirit we're talking about here or being able to take one for the team. What do you say to that? I made that decision when I joined the Marine Corps at 18 years of age. Of course, I'd do it if I was sure that if I was absolutely positive that it was going to work. That's the problem is they'd put me up on the cross. They'd put they'd put daggers in me, whatever it is they're going to do. And then after I'm dead, they go right back to what they were doing before. That's not a solution. It's a good question because it, what you're doing is you're measuring what you're, you're measuring our resolve. And that's that's, of course, a, a good question. But that's that's not how it worked. Uh, I think Arnetta hit it right on the on the hit the nail on the head. You know, when you talk about individuals trying to mobilize into militias and all these different things if they actually thought it was a threat they would round up the leadership all in one night and uh my advice if you want to be that leader don't drop your soap there's plenty of room at leavenworth uh but if the states do it if the states do it so think about the security about the intelligence apparatus they may know what the state is doing that doesn't mean they can stop a state so if the states start to organize along those lines, you know, if Florida were to say, hey, if you want to invade the state of Florida, right. uh, we're going to defend ourselves and we may lose, but you're going to have to kill an awful lot of Americans. So let's go have a Gandhi moment and yeah. see what how so let's see how big your balls really are, Mr. Biden. That I think you've got some legs with. Yeah, and I yeah. think it's particularly true that we control the majority of states yeah. and the vast majority of territory. If, the, if, if all Republican governors got together, particularly where they also have the attorney general and uh, and the legislature and just said to hell with it we've had enough we're stopping this right goddamn now and uh and, and that's it hmm. joe biden doesn't have the moral integrity or the moral courage just to do it they'd win that's how you do it you don't do it in an individual basis me and my m16 are going to go down to washington dc it's got to be the states hmm. but yeah. when the states do it it's got to be all hands on deck yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we covered this topic of the states extensively on Monday. And now this is a very interesting follow-up right now. Steve, what do you say to this brazen statement that Wally has put out there about the states? Uh, I think he makes a good point. What I don't like that I'm hearing is that, well, if the odds are really, really good in my favor, then okay, I might try it. 
Uh, that was not the scenario of 1776 at all. The question is, do you care enough about these children who are being sexually molested, trafficked all over the place? Do you care enough th for the people who have been connived and deceived and told to take a safe and effective shot that is killing them by the millions across the world? Do you care enough about your fellow man to say, I hate evil enough to stand against it, to stand up and oppose it? Of course I do, but I'm not willing to sacrifice my life losing. I need to have a prospect for victory. Otherwise, I'll keep my powder dry until that prospect uh, emerges. I'll continue to plan. I'll continue to focus. I'll continue to strategize. I will come up with a way to make it possible to save this country. And I, I do believe that there are ways that there are. Th I don't know what they are, but I'm sure there are things we can do even without the state to try to do that. I thought about, for example, you know, if somebody could organize a two million man march in, in defense of the Second Amendment, armed to the teeth, but peaceful protesting and just march on Washington, D.C., see how far they let you go. They can't kill. There's, there's a limit to what the military is even willing to do. And if you're not breaking any laws, they'd be breaking the laws because you can't use the military to attack civilians. So unless it's drug related. So you know, there are things we could do to create a constitutional crisis. There are things we can do to bring attention. When you have that conflict, you say, okay, we want to talk to you on neutral ground. How do we make this work? How do we have that conversation? Uh, I, I think there are things we, what we have to do is we have to bring it to a head and then we have to we we have to hope that comberheads prevail and that there's there's an ability to negotiate. For example, you said earlier, well, some states may go along with all of that. Well, that's fine as long as they're willing to spin off to the states, those to those states that are not. You know, if Florida wants to have a social security system, spin it off onto Florida. Let Florida run it. Let Florida do it the way Florida wants because it's constitutional if the state does it, even though it's not when the federal government does it. You know, I, I think we can force those conversations, but I just don't think me and my M16 can do it. I think it's going to take either more strategizing. Or how do you coordinate? How do you communicate? How do you organize when the federal government's yeah. not going to let you do it without the help of a government? The federal government can't just trample over. Yeah, right. But there well, has to you know, be a way to do that, Wally. And I believe that we can do it state by state. I think we still have 27 trifecta states, which means all red uh, states. But depending on how the elections go the rest of the year. But the, the states that are controlled by the progressives, they actually control more people than the rest of the country, the population. So it would have to be done state by state, but it would be organizing the states and using the National Guard, not the military, because their oath is to, they follow the orders of you know, the executive branch, supposedly. So we'd have to have a lot of people who defected to well, stay, you know, and to protect states. But the states are going to have to do it. And it's going to be up to us to get those states organized. And for us who live in places like California, I'm getting out of here. But that's exactly <laughs> what they want to do. That's what they want to do. They want us out of these states because you ask yourself, why are they allowing the big cities to deteriorate the way they are? Yeah. Well, it's for a purpose. 
Keep in mind that Gavin Newsom can raise uh, his National Guard, so can the governor of New York and the governor of all these that other is states. Correct. But they're not going to go invading other states. If there were an invasion, it would be a federal force. No, they it's not going to be this. It's not going to be the National Guard of, of California hopping on on Delta airplanes and flying to Miami. No, it would have to be a federal force. I agree with that. But what they can do is they can create an emergency, a state of emergency. And then the federal government can then declare martial law. And then Let we're them enforce all shut down. Let them enforce it. Well, that's up to the states, isn't there it? There you go. It's, that's, it's got to be the states. Yeah. If uh, California wants to be under martial law, let them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, the states' rights again, isn't it? You know, um, uh, Steve, the uh, your thoughts of this conversation on the states versus the individual, uh, your thoughts at that place? Well, I agree very much with Wally. Now, Wally, you're sounding like, uh, you know, you're in the Patriot camp here strongly. What I am pleading with all Americans is that we must not say there's nothing we can do. There is always, always, always a way to defeat the enemy, even the domestic enemy that we are now facing in America, our government. There is always a way we have to ask the question, not can we do it, but how do we get the job done? How do we save America? Because now is the time. This is the place in history, the time that we have been called to respond, to bring back our nation under God. That's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. That'd be a completely spontaneous uprising would have to emerge without organization, uh, would have to emerge uh, without really a forethought, just like an Arab Spring would have to be like an American Spring sort of thing, where everybody just comes out of their house and says, that's it, we had enough, knocks on the neighbor's door, have you had enough, yeah, I've had enough, and we just pour out in the streets and say, to hell with it, stop it now. <laughs> I don't know. Well, how did how did other organizations do this what they, when they fought back? My hope and my, my, my privilege, my hope, my goal, my aspirations are that when we turn into the year 2046 and a new president of the people has been put into office by the people, I pray to God that that spirit has returned. That spirit of 1776 and the people are in control of the destiny. At that point, we would have elected the new president in 2024, they would have taken office in 2025. And in 2026, the semi-quincentennial. That's the moment of America right there. I think we're right at the cusp of many things that can happen. It has to start right there. Let's all get involved. The action items are to get involved in your states, get involved in your schools, get involved in your communities, get involved in the sheriff's office, understand what's going on, talk to the neighbors, talk to the people, wake the dogs up, wake them all up and let them know that there's a spirit out here, a spirit of America, the spirit of 1776. Send them here, send them to America out loud. Let them know we're here. draw, Draw some connections to this thing and, we celebrate life. We celebrate good. We celebrate all that is that is that is a proper and good with people. But we surely have to fight this back. Uh, it is that time where we, the people, must rise and must must be counted for. Must take it back. It's lost. Totally, totally. We're no better than any other country on the planet right now. Sad to say that. I've grown up my life in this beautiful country, and it's a uh, Sad to really say that, 
but it's so much to the point that I've actually said to my wife at times, you know, I've had just about enough of this. She looks at me and said, where else would you go? I said, well, potentially, I don't know, back home to Pluto, maybe another planet, huh? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, we can never stop fighting, can we? I hear my colleagues on the line here just in my brain right now saying, you can't say that. You can't quit. Well, no, we don't quit. We fight. That's the spirit of 1776 is you fight. You fight forward. And by chance, if you take one for the team, well, you take one for the team. Friends, thank you for joining us on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud, America. America.